0: Episode 51 of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Insulate, makers of the Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. This episode is with Dr. Steven Edelman. And I'll miss, ugh, really? I start right away fumbling over my own words. I'll go again. This episode is with Dr. Steven Edelman. Dr. Edelman is a, a person who lives with type 1 diabetes. He is the founder and director of a org called Taking Control of Your Diabetes. And I read a paper that he wrote about... CGM technology and and its benefits and I just wanted to talk to him so I had him on thinking we were just going to talk about his paper and then it turned into this great conversation about everything diabetes. That we talked about so much stuff about diabetes that I honestly can't give you a brief synopsis. Just listen and I hope you love it. Don't forget that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice medical or otherwise. I hope you enjoy episode
1: 51. All right. Well, my name is Steve Edelman. I, I wear a couple different hats. I have the academic life being a professor at the University of California, San Diego. I have di- type 1 myself since I was a kid. And I run a not-for-profit organization called Taking Control of Your Diabetes. And we pretty much uh, promote diabetes education, motivation, uh, and uh, and self-advocacy. And we've been doing it for 22 years. and yeah it's it's been a good ride and appreciate you asking me
0: uh, on the. Oh no, I'm excited because i I read what you wrote and it's it's so mad you know it so mimics the way I handle my daughter's you know type 1 diabetes management and how i I try to get people to think about things so it's just an, it's just a great opportunity to hear someone else talk about it. so you are a physician. can you tell me a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, um, I grew up in LA and uh, I wanted to become a diabetes doctor pretty early in my career. And I ended up uh, uh, going to the Joslin Clinic in Boston at the time. And I, it was probably the place to go to be trained, part of the Harvard system. And that was awesome. Um, and then I came to UC San Diego and I did uh, clinical research in diabetes for another two and a half years. And after four years of research, my uh, now ex-wife said, hey, get, get a job. <laughs> and to <laughs> make a long story short, uh, I ended up on faculty at UCSD and the VA hospital. I work at the Veterans Hospital. And I've been on, believe it or not, I've been in the same place for 28 years because I like seeing patients. Yeah. I like doing clinical research, and I like uh, teaching the younger doctors, you know, who's going to take care of me when I get older.
0: Yeah, it's very important, too, because, you know, I think diabetes is such a specific place where you... It doesn't take long for you to understand your diabetes better than your doctor sometimes. So when when new doctors are being trained by by people who've kind of been through the trenches before plus who have type 1, I, th- there's a lot of value in that.
1: No, it there is. And that that's why I started an org- a collaborative registry that's off of our uh, TCOID website called We Are 1 Diabetes. Mm-hmm. There, it's it's a diabetes professionals with type 1.
2: Wow.
1: So and you don't have to be an endocrinologist like myself. You can be a CDE. You can actually work for Dexcom or Medtronic or any of the diabetes companies and have type one. You could be a, a dietitian, a CDE. And it's really uh, an awesome uh, place where people communicate, refer patients. And I do think having type one yourself gives you a much better level of empathy and understanding because uh, th- the whole concept behind taking control of your diabetes is listen, you, you, you are living with yourself 24 seven, you know, at best your doctor is going to see you four or five times a year for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. And there's just no way he or she can can understand what's going on. You got to make your own decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important. I, it breaks my heart when I hear people say, you know, I went to the doctor and we we made a little adjustment in my pump and we're going to wait three months and see how it goes. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Come back in three months. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, by the way i do like I do like your website. I've lot a good info on there
0: oh, thanks so much i I you know that that blog's been up and and been running for for a good long time now uh you know, my daughter was diagnosed when she was two and and about a year later I started the blog and and the uh the podcast here is into its second year, and I'm finding it's uh reaching all new people so so basically. I'll tell you what I do, and I'm going I'm to assume that it's, it's about what you do. It took me a long time to figure out things that, that would help my daughter's A1C and, and to avoid spikes and, and, and drops in her blood sugar. And, mm-hmm. and even though I just met, um, Doc, do you, you know Stephen Ponder?
1: Sure. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: so, I, yeah so I just interviewed Stephen um, a couple weeks ago and his episode went up just recently. But it was interesting to bump into somebody who was doing something exactly the way I was that I was unaware of. You know, there's so much going on in the diabetes community. You can't know, you know, you can't know what every corner is doing. So I'm on my own battling away trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, my daughter gets a Dexcom CGM and it, it opens my eyes to to how the insulin's really working in her and how long it's taking to react and things like that. And now it just completely has changed how I think of everything.
1: Yeah. You know what? I mean, to me, I always, you know, Stephen Ponder speaks at a lot of our conferences, and his book is awesome, uh, Sugar Surfing, and um, uh, I'll tell you what, I I honestly believe this statement um, that uh, CGM is the single greatest advance for people with type 1 diabetes since the discovery of insulin, more important than insulin analogs, a lot more important than pumps, uh, yet, uh, and, and if someone said to me, you got to go back on the older NPH and regular insulin to keep your Dexcom, I would do it. Mm. Having, as you know, the the information is invaluable, and, and um and and it's a shame to me that a minority of type ones in this country have a CGM, and that's you know it's it's patient uh uh patient ignorance, uh, not stupidity, just ignorance, and it's doctors' ignorance, it's clinical inertia, it's insurance companies pushing, you know, putting up roadblocks, so. That's one of the things that I really fight for at TCOID in, in our Type One track. Is that is, and then of course Medicare doesn't pay for it. Well, when I turn sixty five, my Type One goes away, so I don't need it <laughs> You ability.
0: won't. You won't need the. You not know. It's it's such a crazy thing, and people have heard me say it on the podcast before. But you should leave the hospital with a glucose model. I, I, I mean, mean you, you know, you wouldn't. It it it's not. You know, it's an oversimplification, but they put a gas gauge on your car for a reason. You, you, you know, and there's a speedometer on your car for a reason, and. And, you know, now we have the ability to see, I I think people generally don't understand, you know, it's understandable. So you get, you get diagnosed, everything's crazy. Doctor does not want to overwhelm you. You're already as overwhelmed as possible. They err on the side of caution. They don't want to see you get too low. They don't want you to have a seizure, that kind of stuff. And so it's, you know, eat your food count your carbs, give yourself some insulin, test three hours later, we're sure it's all gonna be fine. If it's not, we'll make an adjustment then. And, yeah. and that's how they send people out the door. But, you know, depending on how your physiology reacts to the insulin and which insulin you're using, you know, there are times where I can give my daughter a 15 or 20 minute pre-bolus and it doesn't start touching her blood sugar, you know, for 15 or 20 oh, minutes. Yeah,
1: yeah, priming the pump. Uh- is is so important, and but you know what is something you cannot read in a textbook. No, except maybe Steve's uh, Steve Ponder's textbook. And um, it's you know when we put on these uh, seminars, and we get you know we have feedback from people. And I actually, in my UCSD clinic, I have a thing called shared medical appointments. You ever hear of that, Scott? No, I haven't. Yeah. So when I when I see patients, this is the official visit. Um, I have, in fact, I have coming up. Nine men, uh, young adults, and men with all with type one. We sit around a red conference table. The meeting goes for 90 minutes, and we go around the table and we discuss everybody's diabetes. You know, they UCSD makes them sign the HIPAA forms, and it, it is so awesome because everyone learns from each other. We put their Dexcom tracings up on this on a on a screen, and we all look at it. We analyze it together. We look at their lab work, and then someone may say, Yeah, you know. Uh, every time I go to the gym, my blood sugar shoots to the roof. We talk about it because because a lot of the a lot of the different situations are common to a lot of people. Sure. So everyone has their own individual way of dealing with it. So yeah, it's it, shared medical appointments have been around a long time. I finally talked UCSD into doing it, and um, it's awesome. It's just you know it's just a kind of like a mini support. A conference at every time you go to the doctor.
0: Yeah. I've actually been kicking the idea around of doing video chats with a few like readers of the blog at a time and talking about things because I, like, I just put up a blog post the other day and it's my daughter's graph starting from three in the morning going till like one in the afternoon, I think. And in that graph is um, she had a sleepover with some friends. She's 11. She had some girls over. And the night before when they went to bed, the last thing they said was, can we have French toast in the morning? And I was I was like, absolutely. We're going to have French toast Get up. in the morning. Get so the insulin, man. it's going to be good. Right. And so I, I showed people on the graph how my daughter ate French toast, banana slices, powdered sugar, grapes, bacon, and chocolate milk. Blood sugar never went over 120. And uh, three hours after the meal began, she was 97 by a finger stick. Now without the, that's impressive well but <laughs> thank you but without the cgm completely impossible yeah i yeah. couldn't and i couldn't uh, have done it
1: have you experienced have you had any experience with the uh, freza the inhaled insulin i'm I, I see people talking
0: about it and i watched this video online there's a kid i want to say he was in australia and he sits down in front of a table with like a giant can of Coke and like an ice cream and the, and the Afreza. and he sit, he stands there with a Libra and just shows you his in his blood sugar like every ten minutes. It was insane, but yeah. how 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 steady it was and at the same time, I can't bring myself to think that I would let my daughter inhale insulin because yeah. because there's not enough historical data on it. Like isn't that uh, you'll, you know you're the doctor, but. The, mo- the molecule of insulin, won't that at some point cause issues with the lining in, in her lungs?
1: Well, um, I would say this, that at least for up to four years, they haven't seen any issue. You know, and, and as you know, and I'm not, I'd say for sure we don't know sure. 100%. I, I take it myself. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. in terms of flattening out the blood sugar. You know, it's, here's the thing. It's rapid on, and I think even more important, it's rapid off. So you just avoid the stacking. And uh I'm not sure if you're privy with all the uh the business part of it, but the you know, makers of Lantis of course and 2 J O, uh they went in in partnership with Mankind, Al Mann, the you know, the guy who originally developed uh the first insulin pump at MiniMed. Yeah. And they broke off that relationship.
0: I, I saw um, that very
1: recently. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, I had a I had a focus group of 12 successful Afrezza users. They all had CGM. And I, when, once I heard how they, the intricate details of how they discovered how to use it successfully, I just can't tell you how well it works. Now, I would say this you can't, you know, obviously you can't put it in your pump. You can take it as your boluses with your pump diesel. But I do believe that we are going to see uh, wrap it on, wrap it off injectable insulin fairly soon. Yeah. Both Novo and Lily have one. And I think, that's, I think that's an unmet need. And I think it's just going to help uh, folks like your daughter, myself, have a normal life and eat normal foods. And I have a question I want to ask you after this. So, yeah, sure. Okay, uh, hey, this, really, this is really uh, something that's been bothering me because there are people out there who are low-carb cellars. And I don't mind people who say, yeah, I reduce my carbs and I try to eliminate them, more power to you. But they get so aggressive mm-hmm. at any at anybody who eat any type one that eats carbs. In fact, I I was approached, you know, they were like followers of Richard Bernstein, you know, hey, more power to you if you can do it. But they're just uh, militant. <laughs> and it, they, they said, how could you be giving people insulin? They even put down Steve Ponder in this email. They yeah. said, he's going around shoving insulin on, on, in these kids. And I just, I really want to say F you. <laughs> it, it's and 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 if we want to, if we wanna eat carbs, okay, and if we can control it, you know, get off my back. but this happened just recently, and I was the nicest response in the world. I said, you know glad you can do it, some people can't you know some people uh, just can't do it as strictly as you, and we have to have insulin obviously to control it and I really like the way you've uh, I saw your blog on how you control the blood sugars um you know and it just makes life so much normal especially for young young people but also for us oldies too you know
0: well you know what it's interesting like uh, next you know when you record the the episodes and they go up and down you know d- differently um i i i'm going to have an episode go up next week which will end up being weeks after yours goes up where i I'm, I'm talking to a guy named Jeff and i want to i I hope i don't mispronounce his name docus uh and he's um he's a kind of a tech guy um, you know, uh, who, who, who's been really successful in business. He got type one later in life and he started up like a meter company and he's got this whole idea. It's really great. And at the very end of the interview, he kind of cops to being more of a no car eater. But, but when he talks about it, he spoke about it in a way that I found very refreshing. He's like, this works for me. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's something anyone else needs to do. Yeah. He was a reasonable man making a decision for himself. And yeah, that- you, you know, and, and that's great because at the same time, like you do wonder, sometimes I just think that people, when they find something that works, I do think that people who live with diabetes are very, um, they're excited to help other people with diabetes. I mean, I know I am, and I know that that's how other people feel, and I wonder if sometimes it's just not that feeling of, I figured it out like that, that, whether they have for everybody or not, but they feel like they figured it out and you're not listening and you're hurting yourself. And, and sometimes I think it's just a, it's not a, it, it's, it's the inability to communicate well mixed with the desire to help people. And it comes off wrong.
1: Yeah, and, you, yeah, know I, you know what? I think you, I think you described it perfectly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, it is. Yeah,
0: is. Cause so, I don't think yeah. anyone means you any harm. But at yeah. the same and, but at the same time if those people are listening right now they heard me say I gave my daughter french toast and a banana and, and I let her sprinkle powdered sugar over top of her french toast and they think I'm be, you know I'm the antichrist at this point <laughs> you, you know but and and you know now you're using this man-made insulin and, and look maybe you're not wrong if you're sitting home thinking that but this is the reality I live in my daughter's pancreas the, the cells inside of it they stopped working And now I still have to live my life, and and you know I've I'm a person who in my twenties I lost a significant amount of weight um, eating no carb, and it was really valuable for me. But having be, I can tell you from my experience that after sixty days of eating that low carb, I did not find it sustainable for my whole life.
1: Yeah, Yeah. you're you're exactly right. You know a lot of these extreme diets. You know whether it's the low carb diet the you know what Atkins or the mediterranean mm-hmm. and uh, the paleo i mean i find that uh most people cannot keep up over the long term and that's why most diets fail because they're so radical and they're so uh, unnatural for that individual they just don't work and so you know we all have to find out what works for our, ourselves and that's that's the bottom line you know
2: yeah and
0: there's actually a balance by the way like you know you can there are a few foods that we stay away from because they're insanely difficult to manage. You know, rice, you know, is hard for us, so we yeah. don't have it yeah. that often. Um, yeah. But I figured out pizza, so pizza's not a problem. Doesn't. Oh, I'm sorry. That's actually an alarm for my daughter for her pre-bowl for lunch. But it's a snow day here, so it's got pushed back for twenty minutes. So you actually are going to hear me bolus us with Arden at some point while That's we're doing okay. this. Hey, Scott. Yeah. How, how old How old is your daughter? She is eleven. She'll be twelve this summer. She was diagnosed oh. a couple of weeks after she uh, she turned two.
1: And uh, yeah, I, I since I just uh, met you recently, or met your assistant to get on the call, and just looked at the website, I signed up too, so I can get notifications. It sounds like uh, you know, when, just listening to you, it's, you sound like. Uh, colleagues of mine who have type one who are also endos, because you're you're right from the very beginning. Um, you know, we all have to sort of become our own mini diabetes specialist. You know, yeah, we we use our doctor for guidance, and I think that's important. But you know, he, I I just love the way that you know you sort of learned how to handle things. Yeah, and we don't get it right every time, and those occasional two three hundreds aren't they're not going to kill you. They're not going to cause complications. Right. So you know, it's it's really over the long term, and it sounds like. You know sounds like everybody's your daughter's doing great. We're doing.
0: So for the last two years, we're between five, nine and six two for her a one c. And you know that was, you know it's a, it's a very it's a very easy transition. You know we start with MDI, her a one Cs in the eights. I don't know what I'm doing. She's also a little kid. It's difficult. And then we add an omnipod insulin pump, and things get easier, and I see the a one c come down. Then I add a dexcom and I start understanding how the insulin works. And we get it down again, but then it was cutting out foods. You know, certain foods. Um, you know, Arden. You know, I, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not the healthiest people in the world. And Arden was eating, you know, cereal in the morning, and my other son was too. And that was one of those things we just stopped. Uh, and that was due to Arden. You know, she walked out of her her appointment one time, and she asked me, "Is there something I could do to help my A1C go down to where they want it?" And I said, Ooh. "You could probably stop eating Fruit Loops in the morning." and she said okay and just stopped and now there are a little box of fruit loops in my house and they sit there for the one time this month that she's going to get low out of nowhere and you'll see like this happy little look on her face and she'll be like I'm having fruit loops and she'll you know she rolls out into the into the the kitchen and grabs them and and has a tiny like a cup of them and you know and it ends up working because of the situation Um, You know, we eat potatoes here, you know, with reasonable regularity. I I make homemade pizza. I have changed to making my own bread because I couldn't find bread in the store that was uh, not causing spikes. That's been a big help. We'll have China. Let me ask you you there, Scott.
1: Just give me a one-liner. How do you do do that? And I remember when bread makers were popular, everybody had one, kind of like juicers today. And by the way, we should talk about people who juice their food out of a big Tech Peeve about <laughs> about people who blend their food, especially high carb stuff, and they think it 's healthy i don 't care if it's green or not, uh, but how do you make you, you make your bread so it it reduces spikes low carb bread Is well no, I just
0: it? no, i just i make I make my own bread, I use a bread machine, but I just use a very simple you know i mean white bread recipe it 's not the best bread in the world it 's not the healthiest. I could probably make whole grain, but they don 't love that you know, so I still need my kids to eat. And so yeah, it's just yeah. a very simple salt, you know, a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of flour, a little bit of butter. It's just, it's bread, you know, but it doesn't have chemicals in it that'll make it last on the shelf for three months or, you know, so I got to make it every three or four days. And what I'll tell you has happened is, is that, you know, she doesn't get spikes from bread. It's partly why the French toast worked out so well. And it's also, it keeps down the consumption of bread because sometimes I'll get to a day and I have not made a loaf, and so we won't have bread that day. You know, it's such a first world thing to be able to open a drawer and pull out, you know, a limitless supply of bread out of a drawer.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. You know, you mentioned you know it's not whole grain. Honest to God, Scott, when I talk to dietitians and you really look into this whole grain versus more white, I swear there's not much difference, and a lot of it is the color. Yeah, you can add seeds to it fine, you know, Mm -hmm. and hopefully doesn't give you diverticulitis. But it's what I'm saying is a little bit of that is marketing.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure. Listen, I have a big bin over on my countertop of tiny chocolate chip muffins that I that I make on a pretty regular basis because my son's 16. He doesn't have diabetes, but he comes home from high school. He's ravenous. You know, he'll, he'll, he would eat the countertop if he could break off a piece of it. And, and he's not going to sit and, you know, I, I I don't, you know, I don't know what to say. He's not the kind of kid who's going to grab a banana or an apple. He just, he's a really athletic, active child who does not have a taste for overly healthy foods. And so I see him doing what he's doing. He's got, you know, he's in the grocery store, Hey, buy these little bite, you know, muffins and besides them not really being food and being insanely expensive. He just wants to be able to pop something in his mouth that's a little chewy and a little sweet. So I find a very simple recipe for chocolate chip muffins and I make them tiny and he grabs a couple and eats them. And it's not kale, but it's also just sugar and salt and butter. And like it just, they're, at least they're basic ingredients, you, you know, and there's nothing added into it. You see a difference.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you, mentioned, you, you mentioned the little tiny chocolate chip muffins. Well, uh, my girlfriend loves these, what they make at Costco. Mm-hmm. And they're small muffins, but I, I think the point I wanted to make was uh, everything in moderation. Sure. And you, your son doesn't eat unhealthy. He's a kid. Yeah. He's a. You know what? And uh, I, I bet you. I bet you he eats healthier based just in your general environment at your house than ninety percent of other folks out there. So. You know what? It's it's all a balance, as you know. You know, there's little times we go off, but it's not like we're eating hot fudge Sundays three times a day. You know? it, it, exactly.
0: Yeah. And 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 so, but even when you are having carbs, and and maybe kind of to dial it back to to your expertise in this situation for a second, because yeah, this is something I I really do try to stress with people, and it's tough because obviously nothing I'm saying here is advice, and I'm not a doctor and that kind of thing. I'm just sort of sharing how we do things, but. The, the, you know, I talked about adding a pump, adding a glucose monitor, getting rid of some foods. The next step is, is pre-bolusing. And I like to talk about it like this, like there's a fight that happens between the carbs and the insulin. And I want that fight to happen when my daughter's blood sugar is 80, not when it's 120, not when it's 150, not when it's 200, because if I miss and she spikes Then she spikes from 80 to 160, not to 220, not to 300, you know, and, and, and in my, in my estimation for my daughter, and people are going to get tired of hearing me saying it maybe, but it is far simpler to stop a falling blood sugar or to control a low blood sugar than it is to affect a high one. And I would rather have to have my daughter grab a half of a juice box or a Clementine or a half a banana and then to spend four or five hours hammering away at a 350 blood sugar. You know what? Know if that makes uh, sense to you.
1: Yeah. You know what? I, I no one's ever said that before, but um, I think every, a lot of us type ones will say, okay, it's going up. Sub-Q insulin acts so slow and I'm sick. I'm, I want to really bend that trend arrow. Mm-hmm. Let's blast myself because worse comes to worse. I'll drink some juice you know at uh, 150 if i have two two girls going down and or I'll something stop like it. that yeah that's interesting um i think see the thing is that's why i like inhaled insulin not so much because you inhale it but because of the uh, as we doctor us doctors would say the the pharmacokinetics pharmacodynamics which is just the time course of action
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um i'll tell you what you will you will have a much easier time and your soul with your daughter obviously when they come out with these uh, more wrap it on wrap it off yeah insulins. No, and, I know I think that's that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: Well that, and that's close it's pretty close too and, and so and that's so much better because like the rest of it is the tail of the insulin and, and trying to make sure there's no insulin left in the body once the food is gone and that stuff is you know that's high level thinking and, and it's also not mathematical. So you know going back to the blog about the French toast, if you look at it most of the decisions I make aren't based on any math. They're based on historical data that I have from being around my daughter in situations like that with food that's heavier in carbs and about this many carbs. And, you know, and she's snacking with friends, like, you know, so they start out with a, with a, with a few pieces of French toast and, but the bananas cut up in slices, they're all picking from the same plate. There's a bowl of grapes. They're all picking from that. I'm not counting those things. I'm just, I'm saying to myself, I think it's about this much insulin this is going to require. And then 20, you know, a few minutes later into the thing, she's like, could I have another piece of French toast? Sure. Here's another piece. Going to need a, a temp basil now. You know, we're going to open up another banana. Great. I'm going to bowl again another little bit. How much? It's not mathematical at this point for me. Yeah, we, know, yeah. Another unit, another two units. I talk all the time. Yeah. Like my wife hears me yelling across the house, bolus a unit. My wife's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I think she needs a unit. You know, let, you know. <laughs> This morning's a great example. There's a a delay at school because of snow. They're 90 minutes late. Everything gets thrown off. And Arden's blood sugar, she wakes up around 145. So everyone took advantage of the, of the 90 minute delay and slept in a little bit, including me. Normally I'd be up a little ahead of her and I'd help her get her blood sugar back down if it was higher so she could start the day in the right spot. But now instead she's sort of in that mid morning thing where her blood sugar is drifting up on her own. We give insulin for it. She comes downstairs 20 minutes later. It still hasn't really budged yet, still around one forty, And she says, Hey, they're going to push lunch back today. Can I just take a piece of toast now? But we had to leave. Like, we had to go. I had enough time to make a piece of toast and push a little butter on it and hand it to her, but there was no pre bolus time. So, I said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, we sliced off a piece of bread. You know, obviously, I'm slicing it by hand. I don't know how thick it is. I'm trying my best. I give it to her. We bolus. You know, 25 minutes later, I'm texting her at school. I'm like, hey, this is going to need more insulin. And I just randomly chose a unit. You know, I was like, do a unit. She was diagonal up, and I think about it sort of like you were talking the other second about... Stopping the arrow like you said about bending there. I just think about like I tell people all the time like if you know if you bolus and 30 or 40 minutes after a meal for me if Arden gets over 150 and she's still rising I Focus on stopping the arrow at that point point. And so I gave her a unit and now she's about 20 minutes away from getting a pre bolus for lunch and her blood sugars it's 83 so We're okay. We're in a good spot Hey, upbeat ad music, this must mean, you know, an ad. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Insulet. Insulet makes the Omnipod, which is the world's only tubeless insulin pump. It's the insulin pump that Arden has used for years and years and years. You know, I was talking with a mom. This is an interview you won't hear for a few weeks, but she was telling me how her child's A1C was stuck in the eights and she could not move it um, with multiple daily injections. And then she got an insulin pump, and suddenly meal times became easier. She could do, you know, multiple boluses instead of just one shot and then kind of hoping that it fit the meal. Now if the if the little boy got hungry again, she could give a little more insulin. She controls her basal rates much better. So much about having this insulin pump, she said, helped her get these these A1Cs out of the eights, and and out of the spot where she felt like she was just stuck forever and was never going to get away from. You know, I think you will find the same. Um, so if you're using an insulin pump now and thinking about trying Omnipod because it is in fact tubeless, or if you're just someone who hasn't used an insulin pump yet and always has wanted to, what you can do is you can go to the the links in the show notes or in your player, and there's a link right to the Omnipod demo, or you can go to myomnipod.com forward slash demo and what's going to happen is when you get there you give a very tiny bit of information your name and your address and Omnipod will send you off a non-working demo pump and then there's there's no obligation they just send it to you you can put it on see what you think of it and make a decision from there I mean there's no better way to try than to uh, to actually wear it before you do something all right listen myomnipod.com forward slash demo where the links in your show notes and thank you again for following the link and trying out the Omnipod and supporting the uh, Juicebox podcast. Okay, let's get back to Dr. Edelman and I just chatting crazily about type 1 diabetes.
1: Yeah, you know what, uh, you'd be interested. I and I I can email you later and you can share it with your your viewers too. It's a publication I I just came out recently that I did with with a buddy of mine who's a type 1 also an endocrinologist and him and I Jeremy Pettis and I started the We Are One Diabetes group. But basically uh, in, a, in a make it really quick, we we interviewed and questioned 300 quote unquote successful CGM users on how they use the trend arrows to adjust their bolus. Because you know, as you know, uh, just adding up the carbs and doing your correction factor just it doesn't always work. No, uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it's not enough, sometimes it's too much. And so we gave we gave them different scenarios. I just give you one. Uh, blood sugar 220 with two arrows going up, uh, trend, uh, trend arrow straight across, horizontal, and then two arrows going down. And we asked them, you know, we, we told them, uh, how much would you give yourself to bring your blood sugar down? Assuming they're not going to eat and, and they're not going to do any excessive exercise. And, right. Uh, you know, the average dose, average, with a trend arrow horizontal, just flat, was about three units. And believe it or not, if two arrows going up, the average dose was seven units.
0: yeah well well two hours up here's what two hours up makes me think say I'm 200 two hours up and if I was 200 and steady round numbers say it would take me a unit to get back to 100 so now I need a I need a a unit for the 200 the two hours up by the time the insulin stops working the 200 is gonna be 270 so I need enough insulin to affect the 200 to affect the high blood sugar that I'm going to get that I don't have yet to stop the arrow to bring it back down There's, plus you're, you become more insulin resistant as your blood sugar gets higher. And so, Mm -hmm. so there's, and how do you figure that out? I'm not a computer. I cannot figure that out. So it's air on the side of being bold. I always talk about like, just be bold with the insulin. Like, you know, don't, it's a shame in my opinion that people get comfortable with the idea of like, oh, my blood sugar is 180 most of the time. That's not too bad. Well, isn't that a hundred points higher than somebody who doesn't have diabetes? That's more than a ha- double, you know, that's, yeah. I understand the fear of the insulin, but I would rather, I mean, and, and plus, please take this, you know, where it's all prefaced on the CGM without yeah. the CGM, yeah. I'm a big baby too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um. But with the CGM, you know, most of the time you're going to catch it. And, you know, for the one time, every couple of months, it sneaks up on you. Well, be ready, have something with you do that. But you can't live your whole life, in my opinion, with a blood sugar at 200 because you're afraid to live it at 90 because that's going to be a shorter life or at least a much less healthy one.
1: Well, yeah, you know what, as you're talking, I'm just thinking of all my different patients. And, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that just are, first of all, they don't have CGM. Most of my patients do, but there's a lot out there that don't. Absolutely. And there are people that have had a really bad low Super fearful of it. And there are people who just, uh, they really need to pay attention to the CGM a little bit more. And um, so I, I i agree with you. Uh, underdosing is a big problem, but fear of hypo is big out there, especially when folks have had a negative experience.
0: And it's it's legitimate. But at the same time, if you could look back at it from a third person perspective, I bet you what you would see is that. Because of a misunderstanding of how to time insulin, or because they didn't use enough insulin to begin with, their blood sugar was high. It stayed high. It got stuck, and they finally just got tired of it. And boom, just cr- tried to crush it, and then ended up low afterwards. Yeah. Don't don't, don't yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like because those yeah. lows are caused by most of the time they're caused by too much insulin. You know, I, I always say to people, if your blood sugar is high, you've either mistimed or miscalculated how much insulin you did, you needed or a combination of the two and when your blood sugar's crushingly low you've mistimed or used too much insulin most of the time you know what i mean i yeah. mean you know
1: yeah it's 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 i tell people you know with with the current insulins we have it's like steering an ocean liner and, and, and you know it's so easy to oversteer it's and it's so easy to understeer it's just it's so hard to get it just right and i think that's why you know, when you look at the normal physiology of someone without diabetes, their insulin goes right from their pancreas into a a a, a, part, a, a vein called the portal vein, and it goes right into the systemic circulation, like just like you're in the hospital and you get IV yeah. insulin. Bang bang. and so, kind of mimic that with with a with a slow-acting insulin. Even don't forget, I was brought up in the days of regular, which yeah. is even slower than what we currently have. It's tough, and that's that's why you, you have this blog because. It is tough, and you've discovered a lot of tips and tricks to help uh, overcome some of those issues with how slow our insulin works and how long it hangs around and
0: it and to your point it's it's not just tough it's almost impossible but yeah. once but yeah. once you yeah. have it, then it, this is the part i can't I can't even believe I'm saying once you have it and you've had the experiences enough times that things come quickly to you, you know, I, even in this long description of how I handled French toast the other day, it's a long written out description. It only is really representative of a few minutes of my effort in real life, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's yeah. not like I even stopped and was staring. It was something I was thinking about while I was cooking and stuff like that. Once you have it, it's, it's remarkably and sort of oddly simple afterwards. <laughs> and, 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 and that means, you know, you're wearing a pump that, you know, has a good, has a good cannula, it's working, you know, you don't have any kind of inclusions, you're not, at the, you're not not coming up on the 72nd hour of wearing the pump. Everything's working about the way you expect it to. You know, it gets said over and over again here. But for you, we pre-bolus my daughter this year at school while she's still in science class 15 minutes before she's going to eat. And most days when it goes right, that means her blood sugar is about 80 diagonal down as the food starts hitting her. Yeah, and and you know she doesn't go to the nurse. We do it through text messages.
1: Yeah. Now, how? uh, Let me ask you. You know, I'm not a pediatric endo, but I do help out a lot with kids. How is your daughter doing in terms of taking over some of the decision making? Because you know, I I see that you guys are, especially you, you're super involved texting. You got the share system. When when does it when does she start making decisions?
0: So I'm less involved than I seem, and and. The decisions and the the control are slowly matriculating to her over time. And yep. so there's yep. no there's no like you know, we're not gonna sit down one night and say, okay, listen, it's on you now. You know what I mean? You're doing this. Yeah. I'm yeah. watching her take it from me naturally as her understanding allows. Like just now, she sent me a text a couple of minutes ago and she said, Hey, are we gonna pre-bowl us now? And because she was 83 and a little diagonal down, she just took in like a half a juice box. And she, if she was at home, 83 diagonal down, we would have we held on and waited and just and bolused and ate. But because she's going to have to leave class and go somewhere else, I didn't want her walking around the school with a blood sugar under 80 that was falling and had insulin on board. So basically, she just took in about eight carbs. It steadied the arrow. I'm going to give it a couple of minutes to get ahead of the insulin. Then we're going to pre-bolus. Um, but still, she knew, hey, we should be pre-bolusing now. But she didn't really know the rest of it. And mm-hmm. and at home, when I'll say, hey, what are you eating? And she kind of holds it up. And I'll say, how much insulin do you think that is? Because you know, most people would say, how many carbs is that? But at this point, I'm more like, how much insulin do you think this is? She's guessing right near where I'm at most of the times. And that's with no... There was no education there. There was no, we didn't sit down and talk about it. We don't talk about carbs. It's just, it's just repetition. It's her 10,000 hours of having a handful of something or a clementine. You know, we used to, she loves clementines and they're in season, you know, right around Christmas and New Year's for a little while around here. And, you know, we used to go with the idea that there are eight carbs. That's what people say. There's eight carbs in a clementine. Then you read, you know, they're little ones, but we figured out how much insulin it really took. And how much of a pre-bolus it takes. I'm very motivated by a very simple story I was told by my daughter's nurse practitioner as glucose monitors were really kind of coming into popularity. And she said that she knew a gentleman who was a lifelong uh, type 1 diabetic. He got the glucose monitor and the first thing he thought to do with it was to learn enough about himself to eat uh, a grab bag of M&Ms without his blood sugar blipping. That was his goal. (laughs) <laughs> and so and so he spent a month every day messing with pre-bolus amounts and when to start eating these m and ms so he could have himself some some m and ms and he figured it out, and that was always just very motivational to me. I thought, well, okay, then we could figure it out with everything
1: no, you're absolutely right, figuring it out and i uh, you know what's amazing to me uh Scott is when you know a lot of times you you might be surprised at this, but Sometimes I really have to uh talk people into getting a CGM. Uh they they're really suspicious. They don't want anything stuck to their body. They don't understand it. I've had people where I've, it's taken me I maybe up to 2 years seeing them, you know, every 3 months. And finally when they get it, you know, they they put it on, they come back and they go, "How come you never suggested this?" And I say, well, let's go, let's go look at my dictated notes,
0: my friend. <laughs> I said you it know? over and over. It's completely understandable. And, and, I, and again, I've said it before, but uh, CGM is the TiVo of the diabetes world. <laughs> so
2: <laughs>
0: if I told you you had to go out, you know, if I said to you, hey, I know Comcast gives you a DVR, but I think you should go spend $400 of your own money on a proprietary third party DVR. And you'd say, no, there's no reason for that. And I said, no, no, there is. You wouldn't believe me. But if I gave you a TiVo you would not give it back. And and I think Dexcom really falls in that category. If they if they went door to door and sprinkled them on people with type 1 diabetes and said, "Hey, try this for a month and let us know what you think." No one would want to give it back afterwards. And you know, but at the same time, yeah. do I understand not wanting to wear extra stuff? I do. You know, diabetes is such a um an incremental disease. You know, you first get it and you're in a panic, and then the panic sort of goes away. But you know, you go through these kind of levels of grief. You you you're concerned your life's never going to be the same again. You're concerned it's going to be always this difficult, blah blah blah. You move forward, that stuff fades away. Then someone mentions an insulin pump, and you go, oh, but I already understand it like this. I don't want to change comfort, blah blah blah. And then eventually you bend and you do it, and then you know a month or two later, just like everything else in life, you're like, well, what was I worried about? This is better. You know, this is working better for me. You know, you hear people say, I don't want to have stuff attached to me. I don't want to attach stuff to my kids. I don't want them to be a robot. I thought that too one point. And now I don't think that anymore. You you know, like I, I, but it's understandable. The first time your kid does a pump change and jumps in the shower real quick before putting a new set on and you see them jump into the shower naked without anything stuck to them. It makes you cry because that sucks. But you know that they have to wear something all the time, but a year later, it's not something you think about anymore.
1: You, you know, yeah, you, you yeah. just keep progressing and, with it. And I, you know, what I this is my own personal preference when I when I hear you talk about things stuck to the body is that um, I personally love the Omnipod because I don't like the tubing, and it makes it's less things hanging. You don't have to disconnect anything. Uh, I can I can tell you as a doctor, I have patients that disconnect their pump way. Too long, they don't change out their pump uh, as often as they should, and the Omnipod sort of eliminates that because you know, obviously you don't disconnect and it expires after eighty hours. But once again, it's a personal thing. Um, I I tell people all the time, you know, hey, it, if you're just thinking about a pump and you don't have a CGM, let's do the CGM first. Get things totally settled out with your injection regimen, and man, that makes that makes the transition so much easier. And I've had many people on MDI who come to me, they want a pump. And then I say, well, let's put on the CGM, get that all, let's get your bolus and your basil squared away as best we can. Then they say, Hey, I don't really need the pump anymore. I'd rather just have, the." CGM. I've really figured it
0: out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there, everything's indispensable and, and you know, full, full disclosure, the Omnipod Insulin sponsors this podcast. So, and my daughter's used one since, you know, since she was four. Um, but, I can't disagree with you at all. I mean, the, the concept of not having to disconnect is huge, you know, especially where, you know, I, 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 Arden plays softball real competitively and, and she, she needs insulin for competition. When her adrenaline kicks in, she needs insulin. So I was giving her a bolus at a practice one day Um And, uh, there was a, there was a a coach that wasn't for her team. That coach had been brought in to kind of look at them and help them out. And she also coached at a, a local high school and had a kid there who had diabetes. And she said, did you just give your daughter insulin? And I said, I did. She goes, Oh, you know, I used to coach a girl who had diabetes, but she had her pump off while we were playing and her blood sugar would always get super high and it was an issue. And, and I was like, no, I know Yeah, this is this. And I showed it to her a little bit. I was like, it doesn't have tubing and everything. I think there are moments when people think you don't need insulin that you do. You you know, it's, you know, in your regular life, Stephen, you're, you know, people who don't have type one diabetes, their, their pancreas doesn't shut off every once in a while. It's always working, it, you know? So yeah. I'm I'm yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm a huge proponent. I, I really am. And at the same time with due respect to how much I love Omnipod and how happy I am that they sponsor the podcast, when stuff changes and moves forward, I'm not a change for change sake person. But when something gets better and it's gonna help my daughter live better, longer, more healthy, I'm gonna look at it. So my suggestion to all these companies is to continue to innovate. You know, don't don't slow down, don't rest on your laurels. That's that's for certain.
1: Well, I think the the one company, you know, and, and I didn't know that uh, Insuet was sponsoring, uh, but I think you know you look at companies like the Insulet. They've had a couple bumps in the road with leadership. Tandem is, you know, working hard to try to catch up with the medtronics of the world and, mm-hmm. and the artificial pancreas steps. And I think Dexcom really gets an A-plus for being innovative. And, uh, you know, they're, they're working on Gen 8. You know, we have Gen 5 right now. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm in San Diego where Dexcom is located. So right. I do, you know, I work with them on certain projects. I do just consulting. And uh, that company, man, whoa, they, they are impressive.
0: They know how to run things. They really do. And, and Omnipod's really Shaking things up recently and brought in a lot of new people and I can just tell for the limited You know the limited contact I have with them just on the blogging side and stuff like that They are really thinking about things in in a better way in my opinion right now And I'm excited to see where they can take that but but Dexcom my god They're so far. They're running. They're in a full sprint where everyone else is just trying to keep up and you know when I I interviewed Terry from um, from Dexcom And I said to him, I was like, who is your liaison, you know, you know, between you guys and the FDA? I was like, because that guy's a rock star. You know, you should, you got to watch it. Somebody's going to steal him away. Like he's, he's, that person has created a relationship that is helping millions of people, uh, because now it's no longer, I mean, just a, a handful of years ago, you'd hear about something that comes up in the EU and then they tell you, "Oh, don't worry, we'll have it in three years." And three years later, it's such a long forgotten technology. We never even saw it, and you know. And then that's the end. And now it's just not like that anymore. This stuff is coming fast and furiously now, and and good, you know.
1: Oh yeah, and what what do you think of the artificial pancreas uh, pro, uh, progress? I, I, you know, if things are going the way they sort of look like they're going. God, 2018 might be a time when you could uh, get your daughter involved in, in something that is commercial
2: yeah
0: it's interesting because I've, I've hasn't been put out yet but I've spoken to Jeff Brewer um, um, I've spoken to a girl who went through at Mass General on a trial she was that's actually been published already a girl named Kelly she she was devastated to have to take it off after six weeks she said it was amazing I mean, obviously that stuff is getting better and better and, and it's going to be, that's going to be gold standard at some point. I mean, artificial pancreas with a fast acting insulin or a smart insulin, that's a winning combination.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's not a cure, but sure. it's, it's a, a damn good way to uh, control it. it take some of the guesswork out of it, you know, and I think some of these algorithms that everyone's working on, including with Jeff, um, you know, some of those look pretty darn good. You know, despite using sub Q insulin. So, you know, the other thing, the other thing that's really exciting um, is the Viacite encapsulated. Uh, that's my favorite uh, thing, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, yesterday Johnson and Johnson, you know, dumped a bunch of their funding in there. Um, and you know, it, it, I can just tell you, you know, I'm I'm an investigator in that study, so there's only certain things I'm allowed to say because the first study is really a, a public study. Uh, a safety study, I mean, and um, you know, it, it's it's research, and you you have ups and downs. And you learn from uh, your failures, uh, but it's exciting, and there's some progress being made. So yeah, and we, my patient was the very first implanted, and I tell you what, uh, we should all give our uh, uh, we should give kudos to these young men because they haven't done any women yet, um, for really you know undergoing surgery, getting these implants put in. Uh, for being the first humans. And, you know, they, they don't put in enough cells to, you know, take people off of insulin. It's more like, let's figure out the milieu and make sure that these cells are living and they're in the best environment. And then once they tackle the safety issues, then they implant enough to really make a difference on the diabetes.
0: Yeah. That, I, love, I love encapsulation for the simple reason that all the science that's being used for encapsulation exists now. It doesn't require us to dream something up or to invent something or to figure something out like it is it is tangible stuff and 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 the idea of having to go into a doctor's office every couple of years and having something swapped out sort of like a pacemaker that seems doable to me you, you know what i mean and and i'm a huge huge proponent of it at the same time you know and i understand how funding and stuff goes and when the news you know cycles get a hold of stuff but it bothers me that everything I've read about this in the last couple of days calls it a cure for type one diabetes, and obviously uh, it's, uh, it's not. Y- yeah, you know, and yeah, and yeah. but it's a small quibble. But and I, I understand how the media gets stuff like that wrong. Um, but no, cool. I'm 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 insanely excited about that.
1: Well, yeah, I'm sensitive to when people use the word cure because it just sets up false expectations. Um, and this this happens, you know. There's a lot, as you know. Not that we're going to get into type two diabetes world, but there's so many scams out there, you know. You know, we can cure your diabetes. That bugs me more than anything else. You got right. these quack medical people, You know, and 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 they're just ripping off people. You know, for because they're so desperate. Yeah. And same with all the supplement, uh, you know, stuff. Just a bunch of false promises.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not going. You're not. You're, nothing's going away. We haven't. What's the last thing that we cured? What's modern medicine cure? Cured last? Is it polio? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So keep your expectations level. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, it's, I, I, I tell you very simply, I, I live with the hope of a cure, but I don't live like it's coming because then that robs me of today and the health that my daughter could achieve today. I want just to achieve the best outcome today that she can, you, you know, and whatever technology helps me with that. Great. You know, if, if, uh, once in a, once in a blue moon, she can have a big stack of French toast with her friends great. You know, if most times it means we avoid, I don't know, rice, then whatever. Like, you don't you know I mean? you just have to do what you have to do. I'll tell you, if you want to go back to this podcast and listen to, I don't know how familiar you are with Victor Garber, the actor from like Titanic. And, and more recently he's in a new television show called Legends of Tomorrow, but I spoke with him for an hour and he's a man in his mid sixties who's had diabetes since before he was a teen. And to hear him just talk so matter-of-factly about things, about like, oh, you know, I don't eat, you know, this anymore because I just had trouble controlling it with my insulin. So I stopped, you know, just very, it, it's, it's very interesting to hear people from another generation talk about it because, oh yeah, you know, because you can get online now and find somebody, you know, a 20 something talk about it. And, you know, the idea that they can't eat rice anymore, it, it, when they speak about it, they speak about it sometimes on the level of like someone's stolen oxygen from them. Y- y- yeah. You know, and it's it's yeah. Yeah. a lot of perspective.
1: Well, you know what? Um, I I I know a lot of old timers had diabetes a long time. I mean, I'm forty five years myself, so I'm getting up there, forty six. But um, you know, people find ways to do it, and even people who have had type one for sixty, seventy years, you know, they they were brought up in a time when they didn't have the tools, they didn't have glucose monitoring, let alone continuous glucose monitoring, and they seem to be doing pretty well. So it just It, it, you know, everyone has their ways of adapting. And unfortunately, you know, when we didn't have the tools or the education, a lot of people didn't do well. And, and you know what, having type one was a death sentence. Sure. You know, you're just blindness, renal failure, inevitable, and man, have things changed. And now if you got type one, if you don't have type one, you're a loser. That's my model.
0: (laughs) My daughter's blood sugar is better right now than mine is, I think. So... (laughs) And, and not for nothing, you know, it, it, it really is, there's a lot of truth. It's hard. I was just saying yesterday, I just spoke to a father yesterday, um, whose young three-year-old was just diagnosed. He's in a bit of a panic and he reached out to me. He's a physician himself, but not, not in, in an endocrinology, um, situation. And he reached out to me for just wanted to have a conversation and get, you know, talk about a couple of things. And I ended up at the end of the conversation telling him, I know this sounds very empty and trite at the moment, but it's possible that my entire family, not just my daughter, is healthier today than they would have been if my daughter wasn't diagnosed. And my perspective on the world is so much more, I don't know, I feel like I'm, sometimes I feel like I'm in my 70s when I think about things. Like, I I feel like I've been here longer than I have. And... You know, and it's helped my life. You know, there's things I don't overreact about anymore, and things that don't make me upset because I understand the real, like I understand, you know, what the levels of of actual problems are, you know, and consequences. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah. and not that I wouldn't make that. Di- you give me a magic wand, Stephen, and I I make it go away right now. It's my first thing. Yeah. Um, but but in a world where that doesn't exist. There's more positive coming out of it than I could have ever imagined, actually. So,
1: yeah, you know what? Uh, I I really appreciate you saying that. You know, when I when I wrote the first edition of my book, Taking Control Your Diabetes, I even many years ago. That was like, gosh, nineteen ninety seven. Um, uh, and I, I wrote in the first chapter how it had. I've used that to really shape my career. It's made me appreciate life in so many more different ways. I look at things differently. And, yeah, there's always a silver lining in every cloud. Yeah, I, I if someone said, yeah, you, you can go away tomorrow, um, you know, I'd say absolutely. But uh, I think getting it in these days and times, and that's why I started uh, with my friend Jeremy, that we are one diabetes, because there are a lot of people who go into the field of diabetes because they have it and uh I, I if you look at all the people that work for omnipod or the insulet folks the tandem you know dexcom uh, other diabetes related companies look at all the different .orgs that are dealing with type 1 there's like there's like one that goes up every week so and my w- my confused. wife
0: my wife switched uh companies to be more involved with with things that were helping people with diabetes too you know she's like if i'm going to get up every morning and put all this effort in I should at least work somewhere where they're thinking about diabetes. It's the, you know, the only way I can really help my daughter. Yeah. yeah and well, it, it it really is. It's, you don't see it much in, in regular walks of life. And maybe because it's concentrated in the diabetes community, I can see it better. But but a, but, a bigger group of well-meaning people who want nothing more than to help someone else who's in the same boat with them, I've never met. And even going back to the, the conversation at the beginning about people who are, are very almost zealot-like about a no-carb lifestyle, yeah. I even think that comes from a good place, you, you know?
1: Oh, it does. It does. They they does. It definitely does. And uh, Richard Bernstein, you know, who's really the first, uh, you know, very famous guy to, to be the super strict, you know, he's got type one, he lives in New York, I believe. You know, he's done extremely well. Uh, so yeah, my hat's off to these folks who have figured out a way to, their own way to, and share it. And sometimes you can get pretty aggressive
2: at sharing
0: it. Yeah. Well, there's also not always a friend of mine just came back from, um, I think he went with this church to, I can't think of where he went at the moment, but he met, he met, um, a, a little boy who has diabetes and they can't get him insulin. Um, and so he restricts, you would, you would think he, you know, you'd say, well, at least we, maybe we can restrict carbs, but the food they're given to eat is very carb heavy. So this boy is restricting food, not just carbs, um, to help control his diabetes. And that's just terrible. You you, you know what I mean? Like it's it's insane that that happens anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah. But uh, Scott, have you heard of insulin for life?
0: Uh is it, it is it the Sparrow Rose campaign and um uh, with it, the International Diabetes Foundation Federation?
1: I, I believe it is, yeah. And- I know the woman who helps run it, and um, you know we can email me, and I can introduce you to her. And, you know, if you ever have someone in that situation, it's it's nice to be able to be able to help out in that way. And yeah, it's pretty sad. You know, I was in Rwanda a couple of years ago, and and there's a lot of type one out there, believe it or not. Starvation can trigger the autoimmune response that causes type one there. So you'd think that with a lot of starvation, there wouldn't be any diabetes. Certainly, no type two diabetes. But there's a lot of type one. They call it tropical diabetes. And these poor kids, you know, they get they get one shot a day, and they test their blood sugar at the hospital with a glucose meter once a month. And 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 they do develop you know a lot of the complications that we. Used
0: to see here in the States. Yeah, I traveled to the the Dominican a couple summers ago to speak in front of a big group of parents, and it was the same idea. They gave them enough test trips to either test once a day or take really good care of themselves four days a week. And so most people just did that. They just four days a week, they took really excellent care of themselves, or four days a month, excuse me, they took really excellent care of themselves. Because what is testing once a day going to really accomplish? You know, so. It was just, it really, it got the best of I me. Mean, we actually found a way through, um, you know, we, we found um, a program, I think, uh, that that would help and we found a way to get some money to this specific child. So I'm hoping that that's, uh, that's reaching him at the point. But it's just, I don't know, it just seems silly that we're all, we all have got a big handful of insulin up here, most of us, and we're arguing about carbs and this and that and you just you know sometimes you want to remember there's there's people on the other you know in other places on the planet that just don't have any of this stuff at all and 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 here like you said earlier people who can't afford or don't have the you know access to these glucose monitors that's pretty that's criminal at this point you wouldn't yeah, you know they yeah, send you yeah. home with a heart monitor if you, if you if you if you if you're you know if you're taking some sort of heart medication you don't it's such a weird thing to give somebody insulin and then not give them any real reliable way of tracking it. A meter is, you know, that's a that's a it's a it's hit or miss thing. You, you know how many people give themselves insulin, test three hours later, their blood sugar's perfect, and they think, wow, I'm doing everything right. And then the first time they see themselves on a glucose monitor, realize they were 330 at one point, 55 at one point, and somehow ended up back at 120. You, you know, it's... Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
0: But I don't know. We've we've gone on a tangent now, Stephen. So we didn't really talk about your paper. <laughs> it's too much. But I'll tell you what I'll do is I will put the paper up on my blog, and I will link back to it through this. And so when people are listening, they can go into the show notes and click on it. And you can see a research paper that Stephen wrote about. You know, Tell them a little bit about what, what the paper entails.
1: Now, Scott, uh, I want to make sure I'm talking about the right paper uh, because I have a bunch out recently. So I don't want to... Go off on a tangent. I can give you a one-liner once you direct me.
0: I'll tell you what. I'm going to open up. I had a, people don't realize I had a little bit of a technical thing happen before, so I lost my. I had it open when I was getting ready to talk to you. It is called use of glucose rate of change arrows to in, to adjust that's insulin right. therapy.
1: Yeah. Well, I did I did mention that earlier, um, and that's basically in a nutshell. It's what successful CGM users uh, do: how they adjust their dose based on the trend arrows. And I can just tell you that I'm working on another paper now that's even going to be more helpful. It's going to be coming up with suggestions of how to adjust your dose based on trend arrows, either up or down. And it's going to be a, a percentage change, obviously, because not everyone's on the same dose. Mm. It's, and it's going to be a range because obviously uh, every, there's so many, every situation is different. But we want to come up with some guidelines other than none, which are out there now, right. other than... Folks like yourself who have learned from experience. So, yeah, and I'd also I'm gonna I'm also gonna send you the link to uh, my not-for-profit organization's website, and which also lists the conferences that we put on around the country. That if you live nearby or you know someone that they're, they're certainly welcome to come.
2: Okay,
0: oh that'd be great. Oh that's wonderful actually. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's tough for me because I can only share my experiences. First of all, I'm not a physician like you are, and at the same time, so much of what I do is. More of the quote-unquote art of diabetes—that it's not a percentage to start with. It's not try it at thirty percent or try. It. I don't have those numbers for me. I just know well, what works for my daughter.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, you know, I my advice comes from my living with diabetes and you know my experience. You know, I, nothing I nothing I educate people comes from a textbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, this this particular survey we did is extremely important because it's, and with, with, how do you define successful people with a good A1C without uh, much hypo? And that's, that's, that's a pretty good A1. Cause you know, if they're not getting hypo and their A1C is low, they're not getting high a lot. And of course uh, they have CGM, which documents that.
0: Well, so, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what you'll find you'll find disturbing is that I had a conversation with a, with a mom of a young child a number of months ago. You know, I, I basically said to her, look, here's some three things I do that I think might help you a little bit. She went from seeing 400s on her graph to not anymore. She goes to her endo the other day, and, uh, you know, the A1C is just slightly under 6, which, you know, is is low for, you know, even might feel low for a smaller kid, but no lows to speak of. She's had all the data there to show her. She was very proud of herself, very happy, a lot of stress lifted, and the endocrinologist told her that um, she had basically done too good of a job. She wasn't comfortable with her child's A1C being like this. Mm -hmm. And it was just, she said it was just crushing, you know? So yeah, Yeah. you got to get everybody thinking a little more like that. I think
1: one thing I, one thing you've experienced that I have not being the parent of a kid with diabetes. Now I have two daughters, uh, they're 23 and 27 now and they got tested. Oh God, 15 years ago for the antibodies, but no way will they go back again. So, uh, you know, I, I know being a parent of a young kid is a total different experience than having it yourself. So my hat's off to you. Oh. Uh, uh, I, I know a lot of parents worry sick, and um, they're the ones believe it or not, when I talk to my pediatric endo uh, colleagues, they say, oh, the kids are great. The parents are out as nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes from a place of love. There's no question about that.
0: Well, I mean, do you find that to be more newly diagnosed? Because I'm in a rather zen place at the, you know, now. But I would have described myself as distraught at points.
1: Well, you know, well, you know why you're at that point because you're educated and you've educated yourself, uh, and that's not the case with all the parents.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, About I guess it. that's true. And and I did have, I, I have, I, you know, I'm a. Basically, I'm a stay-at-home parent, and I have been for 16 years, so I don't have to get up every morning and race off to work. I have time to sit around and think about it and contemplate it and, you know, watch things happen over and over again until they make sense to me. So it is definitely an advantage. Um, but at the same point, you know, it's just it, – it's insu- it, I found it insulting to think that just because – I couldn't figure it out right away that meant I couldn't figure it out like like of course I can I just needed more I needed more information that's where the CGM really came into play
1: alrighty well you know what I think that I'd like to invite myself back uh, and be on the show again I've got patients waiting right now so I got to I got to go back to my day job.
0: Steven, go 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 do your business. And thank you very much for doing this. Send me all those links and uh, we'll package it all up. And when it's time for this show to go out, I'll send you out links so you can listen back and, and see what we did here. But I really appreciate you coming on because I think you said a lot of really valuable things for people.
1: Scott, it was great meeting you and talking to you. And I look forward to staying in touch with you.
0: Me too. Take care. Have a okay. good day. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Dr. Edelman for coming on, to Omnipod for sponsoring the podcast, myomnipod.com forward slash demo, or the links in your player or show notes. I'm going to put a link on the blog and in the show notes to Dr. Edelman's paper called Use of Glucose Rate of Change Arrows to Adjust Insulin Therapy Among Individuals with Type 1 Diabetes Who Use Continuous Glucose Monitoring. Dr. Edelman, very good at type 1 diabetes medicine, not so great at naming an original article. I joke with you, Steve, but it has a very long name. Anyway, if you're interested in reading the article, it's very interesting and, um, and the whole reason that I, I had Dr. Edelman on today. So look for links in the show notes or on juiceboxpodcast.com for that. Thanks so much for coming. And because I put this show out late this week, I'm going to give you a bonus show. So there will be another one in your player. Uh, if you look up
2: episode 52, trial net will be there. All right, guys, I will see you next week when I get back on schedule.